So in, in, in James chapter 1, this morning we're going to look at two specific things that God has for us. Number one is that we listen carefully, verses 19 through 20. And number two, that we respond correctly, verses 21 through 25. So number one, listen carefully, verses 19 through 20. Look at what it says. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, when all of us take a look at this text of Scripture, we see a warning that that James throws out there right away. He says that we need to be swift to hear. Swift to hear. Just a little background on James here. He's more than likely the half-brother of Jesus, who became a disciple of Jesus, a follower of his later on in life. In fact, he rejected Jesus' ministry in the beginning. He did not believe that Jesus was who he says he was. But as time went on, and particularly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think proof of a resurrected Christ will probably provide plenty of evidence for a half-brother to believe that he's genuinely who he says he is, right? So that's one of the things that we see here is that um, the idea of a bondservant, look at James chapter 1 in the beginning, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, what James does here, he doesn't view himself as an equal to Jesus, he's a servant of Jesus. His actual brother, half-brother, realizes that he's a servant of Christ. James writes to the 12 tribes, which would be the Jewish believers scattered most likely after Stephen's death when he was martyred. What James does here in writing this letter to the Jewish brethren is that he encourages them to do some things. In verse number 2, he tells them to count it joy or with gladness to go through trials. Is that you and me? We count it joy that we're going through trials, right? Like, that's all of us, right? Like, as soon as we're going through a trial, I'm glad God has counted me worthy to go through this. Ask in faith for wisdom through trials. Verse 5, he tells us that. He also tells us that it doesn't matter the circumstance, God is in it, in verses 9 through 10. Whether you have a little bit or a lot, God is the one that gave you what he's given you, and you need to be satisfied with that. He also tells us that trials because of sin or temptation are our fault. It's not God's fault that we make poor decisions in life. It's our fault. And the trials that come from that are our fault. You can't put the blame on God for something you and I do. Sin will ultimately lead to destruction and death, both physical and spiritual. We see that in verse 15. Full grown, it brings forth death. For the believer, it may end in an early termination point. For the non-believer, it's potentially early termination point and eternal separation from God. Born by the word, believers are God's prized possession. Before he gets to the text we're going to be speaking on, we're the first fruits. We are what God considers a prized possession. Do you know that, believer? Do you know that God considers his children his prized possession? Most of us, you know, we, we, we've, we've grown up with a theology that tells us we are wicked, we're evil, we're wrong. We do things that God hates, and we're absolutely right in seeing that. But we don't have it balanced out sometimes. We are God's prized possession. Do you know that he's going to present you with joy one day? Do you know that, believer? He wants to present you and me with joy before the Father. 
And that's one of the things that we see here in this text is that we need to be careful to listen. We need to be careful to listen. So we come to verse 19, and James sets all of that up to get us to stop and listen carefully. He tells us that it's important first to listen or to listen carefully before quickly jumping to respond or sharing whatever it is that we've heard with other people. When we first read this, we tend to think that he's just telling us to be better listeners. How many of you have heard this verse and, hey, you know what, I need to be a better listener, right? I need to be slow to speak, slow to wrath, but I need to be quick to listen. So I need to hear people out first, and then I need to respond. How many of you have heard that? It's a proper application. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it misses the deeper meaning in the text. Here's what's interesting. Most of us have heard this, and we've realized, hey, you know what, I need to listen more and talk less. But really, it misses the deeper meaning because we're not realizing that he's speaking to a Jewish audience here. And James uses here, like with your ears, here in the text, in verses 19, 22, and 23. And contextually, it's not just to be a better listener, but to be a careful listener when it comes to the Word of God. How do I, how do I know that? Verse 18, look at what it says. Of his own will he brought us forth by the Word of of truth. In verse 21, receive with meekness the implanted word. Verse 22, doer of the word, not hearers only. Verse 23, anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer. All of these contextually show us that we need to be quick to hear what it is that God himself is telling us in his word, the written word that we hold in our hands this morning. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is going to blow your mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes, I find, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, there's just so much there uh, that Solomon, maybe, maybe because I'm kind of one of those morbid people that thinks of death a lot, um, but Solomon really gets to the nitty-gritty of what life is about, especially towards the end of the book. In, in chapter 5, look at what he says here in the beginning, verses 1 through 3. He says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So when James is writing this to the twelve tribes of Israel scattered abroad, believers scattered throughout, he's reminding them of some texts of Scripture that they would have been familiar with. In fact, this text here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 especially deals with many of the topics that James actually raises in his letter. He talks about injustice among the people in this chapter, or partiality, if you will. He talks about no guarantee for tomorrow in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And he also mentions God's blessing in this life are his good gifts. We actually talked a little bit about this with my children the other night, is that God gives us wealth in this life so that we can enjoy him. He gives us things in this life to enjoy that are a gift from Him because He's a good Father. So when you read that in James, that God is a good Father who gives His children good gifts, remember that He also has a, has a family that He's talking to that would be familiar with Ecclesiastes chapter 5. They would have been familiar with a lot of these texts that James is pulling from. 
So let's go back to James. Let's go back to James chapter 1 again. And I want to ask a simple question. What is it that James is actually getting at here? Like, why should we be quick to hear? Like, why do I need to be quick to hear? Why is there a sense of urgency here that James is trying to give me? Well, the sense of urgency is dependent on who you're hearing from. Who are we hearing from, particularly in the context of this text? God. His word. Is it just anyone that talks to us? You see, if we're not careful, we'll take a text like this and say, well, I'm listening, so I'm doing right because I'm doing what this text says. The question is, who are you listening to? Everybody listens. Some of us listen to ourselves more than we should. But everybody listens. How many of you have these debates in your mind all the time? I should probably say this. No, I probably shouldn't say that. I should do this. I should do that. How many of you have those kind of, like, just the wheels turn every day, right? Like, before you know it, how many of you have ever had this come out, right? Like, you literally planned on not saying something to somebody, and then it still slipped out. How many of you have done that, right? Like, I'm not going to bring this up to somebody. Man, it came out. I didn't intend for that to happen. We are hearing from God, and that's why it's important for us to listen. And you need to listen carefully. You know what's very dangerous that a lot of us do? We hear from God, and what we do is we misquote him. How many of you have ever seen anybody misquote the Bible? How many of us have been guilty of misquoting the Bible? All of us. If you're not raising your hand, you're not telling the truth. All of us have misquoted the Bible here or there. And one of the differences between somebody that's listening carefully and someone that's not is the one that's listening carefully is taking time before they respond to what is said. When we're given an opportunity to hear from God, we make it a priority in carefully paying attention to what it is that he says. Whether it's in church, small groups, discipleship groups, gathering with other believers to discuss the word of God, maybe a private study of scripture yourself, we care to hear from God is more important than just a duty that we desire to just please him in some way. If you're trying to please God without wanting to read his word, you're not going to please him. Because God's instruction will be very many times opposed to your own thoughts. We have a lot of preconceived ideas when it comes to how we think God wants us to serve him. And sometimes we don't open this and we just assume. As a side note, there are more scriptures that you need to read from in the word of God than you and I are probably familiar with. There are more, there's more instruction that's awaiting for all of us to apply that we have never read and digged. There's a lot of things that you and I need to understand about being in fellowship with God. In order to be in fellowship with God, you need to hear from God. If all you do is pray every morning or every day and you don't actually open the word, you don't hear from him, it's a one-sided conversation, believer. And let me tell you, your prayers are probably going to be very selfish. They're probably going to be about you and everything that you're concerned with. Not about him and what he's concerned with. We should not teach or speak God's word without being careful. In fact, he later on says, many of you should not be teachers. You're going to have a stricter judgment here. 
Because we need to know exactly what we're going to get ourselves into when God actually tells us something. How many of you have ever listened to instruction and you actually misunderstood what was said? Ever have that happen to you? So-and-so said, hey, this is what I want you to get done, whether it's at a job or at school. And you go ahead and do it, and you completely did it the wrong way. And that person said, that's not what I meant. I wanted you to do this and this and this. Why did you do that? How many of us have taken the time to think through the fact that we've done that with God? He specifically lays certain things out, and we assume he really doesn't mean that. Here's what he really means. And we blow it. And we wonder why the result is so horrible, right? We wonder why that relationship that we thought we were doing it God's way wasn't really that way. You see, the word here that he says for us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, that means you're going to be careful in how you respond to what God says. See, some of us, we make commitments in the church without realizing what it is we're committing ourselves to. Disciple of Jesus, do you know that when you committed to be a disciple of his, there were certain things attached that you might not be aware of because you haven't cared to follow the instruction? Do you realize that God calls you as a disciple to love other disciples of Jesus? And that's a big mark of whether you are a disciple of Christ. In fact, it's reemphasized all throughout the New Testament. There's not just one verse for that. The reason why many of us miss the point of the text sometimes is that we don't take the time to pay attention to what the words actually mean. What's great for us today, and I tell you, we live in a day and age where you really can look up the Greek and not be a Greek scholar now. There are so many resources available online, Strong's Concordance. You literally can look up any of the words we're we're talking about, dealing with, and you can cross-reference that. Sadly, a lot of Christians, they'd rather the devotional that gives them all the answers. They don't want to do the digging themselves. A pastor will do that for me. This Sunday school teacher will do that for me. This teacher over here is going to do it for me. Hey, God wants us all to be students of the word. All of us. Not just some of us. In fact, what's interesting here is the word here for wrath, when he says that you need to be slow to anger, is a deep internal rejection or resentment, if you will. The reason so many of us complain as much as we do is because we haven't listened to hear from God that day. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is for you to complain when you don't really take the word of God in that day? How many of you have ever like picked up on that? Man, I'm in a terrible mood today. I don't like anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to complain the whole time. And I didn't spend any time with God. I didn't listen. I didn't read the word. The reason many of us don't take seriously our anger towards God is we feel we, we have a right to be angry. We have a right to respond the way that we do to the circumstances in our lives because, you know what, at the end of the day, it's really about me. I'll tell everybody it's about God, but it really is about us many times, right? We don't have that. That wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ask yourselves how many times you've actually gotten angry and it really made you more holy. Ask yourself that. When you lashed out at your kids, did it make you more holy that moment? When you, when, you, when you took it out on that coworker, did it make you more holy? When you decided, hey, I don't really need to hear that. What are they talking to me about that? That person needs to hear it. In anger. Did that make you more holy? What's amazing is that we justify our anger towards someone that has done us wrong without so much as taking a moment to hear what God says about it. 
Don't think for a moment that most of our anger is righteous indignation. Some of you like to masquerade that it is. For the most part, most of our anger is very selfish, very self-centered anger. It is not for the cause of Christ, okay? I don't find a lot of Christians getting as angry about abortion as they do about personal things in their life. If the anger you feel towards someone or something that's being done in, your na- in our nation doesn't bring you back to the word of God, it will not produce the righteousness of God. Many express anger towards those that do not hold their position politically or theologically without offering a single prayer on the other's behalf and hearing what God has called them to do in that situation. You know, one of the, ones, one of the texts of Scripture that really convicts me in the pastor role is when it says that if you're in opposition, you need to be gentle in how you respond. You've got to be gentle in how you respond. And pastors, they meet, they meet all, to, all sorts of people that oppose them. Some of them are wonderful to deal with. Some of them are difficult to deal with. And for Scripture to tell me I need to oppose them gently and not come out in wrath and anger towards them, it's a lot, of, it's a lot to work on. It's a lot of self-control that needs to be involved. The anger here that's being talked about is a rejection of God's Word, especially when God is calling you out on something. And when God specifically wants you to change something in your life, you respond and go, no, I don't even want to hear about it. Oh, no, you're not fuming in front of everybody, but internally you are. You don't even want to hear it. You think everybody else needs to hear it. Whether it's something that you heard in a message, or you've read the word somewhere, or even heard someone else say it, nah, doesn't apply to me. I don't need that. It's just a deep-rooted resentment towards what God says. Many Christians listen with disdain to the word of God being preached by the way they respond when God's word calls them out for something they've done or not done that they ought to. Your response should be one of a reflective, patient nature, not a quick temper. How dare that pastor tell me how I need to live my life? How dare that person share with me what God's been doing in their life and changing in their life They don't understand my circumstance. It doesn't have anything to do with them. I don't want to hear about what I need to change. That's good for them, not me. I don't want to hear about what needs to happen in this church. Everybody else needs to do the changing. I'm waiting for everyone else. Once I see other people loving the way they ought to, then I will love them the way I ought to. Imagine if everybody had that heart. The word needs to be applied to you before it can change your life. The word has to apply to you specifically before it can change your life. It can't apply to everybody else first. That is why the next portion is so important. Number two is that we respond correctly. Respond correctly. Look at verses 21 through 25. What he says. Therefore, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was." 
But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You know, one of the difficulties for all of us as believers of Jesus Christ, those of us that have followed him for any amount of time, is to make sure that we don't just listen. James is telling us here that there is stuff that we need to turn away from to be sure that we receive the word. There's absolutely, absolute junk that goes before all of us that stops us from being able to hear God clearly. And for us to be able to take in God's word, we need to do that with a humble spirit. What's interesting here is the filth spoken of gives you the idea of earwax. Hearing, earwax, you ever have that clogged? Difficult to hear sometimes. It paints the picture of stuff that is clogging our ears to be able to hear clearly. This is speaking to followers of Jesus Christ, not someone outside the faith. But just as we had to turn from sin to Christ when we came to trust him, we now have to put off the old man, if you will, and to put on the new that desires to hear the word of God. Some of us get this, right? And I think this was a great post this last week I saw on Facebook. I thought it was an excellent post to what we're dealing with this morning. Some of us get it. We don't have a desire for the Word of God some days, right? Like some days, man, you're just lit. Man, I can't wait to get in the Word this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whenever you read. There's not like a set time you have to have, but you need to spend time with God. And then other days, man, I just, I just can't get into it today. I don't have any desire to read the Word of God. This whole reading program that pastors institute, are you kidding me? I keep failing. Keep trying and keep failing. It's two chapters. You can do it, all right? You really can. If you're pushing it, maybe three or four one day, but rarely is that ever the case. Fifteen minutes out of your day, you can do it. You see, some of us, we understand what it's like. We don't have a desire for the things of God or the Word of God. And what happens is we notice it when it comes out in our practical living, right? Like you just said something you shouldn't have, and you know why that happened. It wasn't just because you lacked some sleep, although that may be the case. It was very well the fact that you haven't learned, learned much from God lately. You didn't listen to him. And let me tell you, the, the less time you spend in the word of God, the more frequently you'll sin. Mark the text of scripture here. The things that clog your ears and my ears from hearing God's word will keep us constantly stumbling. Only the word can help fix the mess we're in. And deep inside we know this, but we refuse to acknowledge it many times. Ah, that's too basic, Pastor Roman, you know. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Yeah, it's a nice Bible song for kids. It applies today as well. Adults, it's true, whether it's a kid's song or not. What happens is you hear the word that you really don't want to hear, and so what you do is you almost ignore it with something else causing a distraction to you. 
Your ears are clogged with filth and wickedness, and you refuse to own your own sin. You listen to sermons, you read scripture with someone else in mind, and how can they benefit from it, not you? Have you ever read the Bible and thought of somebody else instead of yourself when you read it? Isn't that pretty nasty? Like, we read the Bible and we're like, man, I wish my spouse got this. They're not loving. He's not, they're not respectful. They don't care the way they ought to. Look at Jesus here. He's so compassionate. They could use a verse on this. We've all done it, right? Someone else that needs to do the word. This is an era they're weak in. They need to fix this right here in their life. So what happens for us is we now actually get to tell whether or not we're hearing God clearly because we have a lot of things that have distracted us. In fact, our spiritual deafness proves that we really live that in our lives. Because you don't remember the last time you repented of a sin. We get there sometimes, believers. We get to a place where we don't even remember the last time we actually owned sin. And that should be a warning flag that there's some, something seriously wrong. There's something that's clogging our ears from hearing clearly. You could be hearing the word today and remember times in your life where you heard from God more clearly. I've had these conversations with my wife before. You know, what is it when you were younger and you first came to faith where God just seemed so real, so genuine, like you couldn't deny it? And as time goes on, it just becomes this religiosity in your life. You do all these things, and it seems like God's voice is distant. Though you're doing a lot of the things that you, sh you should be doing, God's word seems distant. Why is that? I think as we get older, there's one thing that I, I find myself really having to admit the most, is we become cynics. We take God's word and we're cynical. Oh, God said he was going to provide all my needs? Are you kidding me? I'm freaking out today. What do you mean he's going to provide all my needs? Are you kidding? Really? He's going to take care of me? Does he know the situation I'm in? You know, I remember this. I remember this. I went to college, right? Like, I'm single. How am I going to figure out who I'm going to marry? Really? Well, Roman, there are a lot of people here, though. Well, how am I supposed to figure this out? Are you going to zap me, Lord, and tell me when, when I'm going to find my wife? He didn't exactly do it that way. I just did what God called me to. I worked during the summers there, and I met my wife. You see, we, we need to trust the Lord as we did as a child, if you will. That's why childlike faith is so important. Some of us have matured so much that we don't take God seriously anymore. We need our children to take him seriously. For me, I've got this. I got my budget figured out. Dave Ramsey's figured it out for me. I don't need the word of God. Every dollar, I've written it down. Folks, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. It may very well be there's some sin that's blocking us from hearing God clearly. Listen to what John MacArthur says about this text. He says, when I look at someone who has no particular appetite for the word of God, no particular longing to be where the word of God is taught, no big hurry to get under the sound of preaching and teaching, no great passion to study scripture, I conclude one of two things is true. 
One, they're not Christians. They don't really know the Lord because they don't have the love of the truth. Or two, their ears are plugged. They have no interest in hearing, and what plugs them is sin. Believer, we are to be teachable. We need to exercise humility. If you're open and teachable, you need to do the word, not just hear it. It's one thing to admit that you sin. It's another to own sin and do something about it. Especially when you know what area God is working on in your life. The illustration here in this text is of someone that sees the flaws pointed out that they need to work on by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they do nothing about it. Oh, I know. I know this is an area of weakness in my life. I know I struggle here. We're all sinners, right? Everybody use that excuse. We're all made of the same stuff. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. And it leaves us in this dull state of what's the point of getting up and moving, right? After all, we're all going to fall again, right? Well, the just man gets up again. What happened to that? You're going to fall. It's inevitable for sure. But why why have we quit so easily? Why don't we have the drive to get back up and go? That is the reason why you may hear God's word being preached and the same thing is brought up multiple times and you still haven't acted on it. You've heard it many times and you still haven't acted on it. Each reminder, you only acknowledge that as an area of weakness, but you do nothing to change that. Oh, I know I need to be in the Word of God more. And what are you doing about it? You're going to keep telling everybody how horrible you are at reading the Bible? Congratulations, we've heard it for years from you. Well done. Time to get up, move. Strengthen your spiritual muscles. You see, some of us, we've heard these things over and over again. I need to lead my family well. You need to lead your family well. Man, that is something God calls us to. When was the last time you took out the Bible and took the text of Scripture and discussed it with your kids? And answered questions theologically that they may bring up. This is where the rubber meets the road. Men, we need to love our wives the way Christ loves the church. You don't know how Christ loves the church if you're not reading in the Word. You need to take care of your wife physically. Men, does your wife feel safe around you? You need to take care of your wife emotionally. Hopefully she's not crying from you. But you're supporting her when she's working through things. Hopefully your wife is getting the support she needs spiritually from you, men. You ought to have the walk with God, not dependent on your wife. You are to be the leader, men, in making sure your children come to church. Making sure that the Word of God is a priority in your home. You've heard this before. You need to serve God, right? We've heard that. When are you going to stop looking at what God can do for you and start realizing that you need to serve Him? 
When you're going to stop looking at God as this genie in a bottle that you have wishes and you need to keep asking him for? When are you going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here I am, Lord, send me. Whatever it is you want. You've heard you need to stop being so stingy and start giving. I know a lot of you have heard that many times throughout the years. But you still don't believe it because you think there's some ulterior motives when people tell you that, right? Like, oh, man, they're, they're, they must be short on money. That's why they're bringing it up. How about you actually open the Bible and read what it says about giving? And you'll be pretty fascinated by the fact that even people that are outside the faith realize that giving is a big axiom in life that God blesses. Just do it. Stop talking about it. Do it. Oh, I know. I heard it. That was a wonderful message, Pastor. Do it. You need to control what you say, right? We've heard that in Scripture. In fact, he talks about that in James. The tongue is deadly. You say stuff that you don't need to. And he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, later on he says, and does not bridle his tongue, that religious, religion itself is vain. It's empty. It doesn't mean much. James gives plenty of instruction on the tongue. Proverbs gives plenty of instruction on the tongue and the words that we speak. When are you going to realize, believer, that just being real isn't always what God wants? Like sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut and not say that. It's biblical. When are we going to do those things that we know Scripture tells us to do? Sometimes you need to speak, and other times you need to be quiet. And context determines that. Here's another one. We know people have said this over and over to us. You need to care for others, right? We need to care for others. But we always blame everyone else for not caring for others or us. You ever notice that? Yeah, yeah, we need to care for others in this church. And what are you doing about it? Are you waiting for everybody else to make the move? Oh, yeah, 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 this this person, they don't do this. When are you doing that? If we all took the time to care for one another the way God calls us to, we would find God multiplying the impact we have in others' lives. You know what makes it easier to serve people of God? Is when they serve you. You know what makes it easier to pastor a church? Is when the church follows in your footsteps, but they also realize, hey, I need to serve my pastor as well. It's much easier. The blessing is in perseverance, continues in it. This one will be blessed in what he does. That's what the text says here. The one that continues in this is blessed. How many of you have done a few things that God says and then you stop doing them? Oh, I need to care for people. I'm going to care one day. I did my kind deed for the day. I'm good. Congratulations. Well done. That's not what text was saying. I'm glad you could wave your pom-poms and post it on Facebook. That's not what God's going after. Just like anything worth going after in life, it takes effort and work to get the things done that God calls us to. It takes real energy, believer, real drive, and real time spent to do the things God's called us to. Ask anybody that's invested in others' lives the amount of time and energy they've had to spend to do that. It's the perseverance that we need to have in order to see those blessings of God.
When it comes to change in the church, I don't know how we can expect change in the church without applying first what it is that God's called us to individually. In order for God to bless the corporate, the individual needs to act. God's done some incredible things this past year, believers. Behind the scenes, some of you may not know some of the things that have gone on here. But we have had more in our church get back into reading the Word of God faithfully, and that's encouragement to me. We started small groups back up, and i got to tell you, some of the things I've heard from some of the leaders have been an encouragement to my heart. I've had some people ask, Pastor Roman, how can I get into a discipleship group? I really want to get into more of the Word of God. I want you to know that just as Jesus calls us to be disciples, to follow, there's a commitment that's necessary to do that as well. In fact, you're going to commit to gathering with other believers over a course of a year. This isn't like any other Bible study you've ever done. This is true, hey, we're going to be committed to one another. We're going to commit to learning the Word of God, studying the Word of God. And here's the kicker, applying the Word of God. I don't want you to download a bunch of data in your head. There's plenty of you that know a lot of the Bible. We need to start doing a lot of the Bible. And doing the things we already do know. Continually learn, but still do the things we already know. And that's part of the discipleship process. As you're reading the Word of God, you're memorizing the Word of God, and then you're like, I'm going to apply this now. If all we did was read and memorize, then we're only hearers and not doers. You see, a lot of people, they know a lot of the Bible. But they don't do a lot of the Bible. Oh, they still remember the, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you realize how much that prayer could impact your life if you took the time? I found throughout the course of my life, I viewed much of the church as building up a knowledge base for myself. I grew up learning many truths found in Scripture, memorized a lot of verses in Awana, I went to college to study to be a pastor. But reality hit me when God started pointing out certain things in my life. When God took me aside and said, hey, I need you to love your wife and not just read about loving her. I need you to start applying this. I need to raise you to raise your children, Roman, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and I'm going to show you if you keep studying the word. I need you to take what I say to you seriously, Roman. This is no joking matter. You see, one of the things that's made it difficult at times in, in the ministry role is I find myself earnestly pleading with God that God does something in our church. And then you know what happens many times when I do that? God turns that to me. And he says, what are you going to do? What are you going to change, Roman? Or what are you going to look at in my word and apply it to you before you start saying this is good for the church? Church, I love you. I really do. But I know God has to start with me first. And I can't expect anybody in this church to live for him faithfully if I'm not doing that. I can't expect anybody in this church to be in the Word of God if I'm not in the Word of God. I can't any, expect anybody in this church to love their families the way they ought to unless I'm loving my family the way God wants me to. So I came to a simple conclusion when God dealt with me on that. God's Word is enough. God's Word is sufficient, believer, for everything in this life. It's sufficient for all of us, without exception. I've got nothing to boast of. 
Neither do you. I failed God many times, and I'm sure you have as well. But I think it's time for us to pause and carefully think through what it is that God's Word says, and to not just stop and realize that we've failed, but to act on what we failed on. So in conclusion, I have one question. Very simple question. What keeps you from doing? What keeps you from doing? You see, a lot of us know a lot of things. We know what God's Word says. Most of us do not have a problem of knowing what God's Word says. A lot of us have a problem with doing what God's Word says. So I'm going to ask a couple questions, and hopefully this is something that you can think about. Are you reading God's Word right now? Like, are you, are you consistently in the Word of God every week? Apart from Sunday morning when pastor opens it too. Are you in fellowship regularly? Do you find other believers that you want to talk to about the Word of God? Is that important to you and me? Have you come to small groups? Some of you have not come to small groups. This isn't a guilt trip. I want you to be in the Word with other believers. This is not me requiring it or else you're not saved. This is my heartfelt desire for you to get to know more of the Word of God and more of your brothers and sisters who want to be in the Word as well. Do you have some sin that you know has been clogging your ears from hearing God clearly? You see, all of us get to different points in our lives where, you know what, the communication is not as clear between us and God. When God speaks, I'm not hearing Him clearly. Oh, I know the words. You know, you can read the text. You can read the verse. But for some reason, it's just not hitting. It's not connecting with the heart. And you know there's something blocking that. Maybe it all seems like a shallow exercise of religion to many of us. But religion itself is not bad. In fact, here in the text, James mentioned religion as something that does for others without corruption from the word world itself, a heart that obeys the word of God. And let me ask this really quick. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ, I, I promise you all this stuff is going to make no sense to you. It's going to be a complete blockage in your ears and understanding all the things that we've been discussing this morning. So you need to start there. You need to come to Christ. You need to repent. You need to own sin and go, hey, I need Jesus right now. I need Christ to cleanse my heart and save my soul. The good news is that Jesus saves, and he saves all that call upon his name. In order to be a doer of the word, though, you need to know who to listen to. Make sure that it's God himself. Let's pray.